name is Bear Siragusa, and you are listening to the Hunting Hound Podcast presented by W Hunting Supply. Now we're recording. We've already been talking for a little while, but uh, we we decided uh, you and I have a messenger chain going back and forth with, and most of the time we're doing something while we're talking. So we do these audio clips, and I considered lapping together a two-hour podcast of just the audio clips back and forth between you and me, and uh, Cleve popping in every now and then, and uh, decided that now. That's uh, that would get us all into trouble. So we'll sit down. We'll just sit down and do another one. How you been? Good, good. You know, I was uh, speaking of Cleve on the chats. I was considering asking your opinion on the next MMA fight, but I have no clue who it is or what it is or where it is. So I'll leave that to you and Cleve and Stefan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, we've uh, Cleve and uh, Stefan kicked uh, and I have a ongoing MMA uh, discussion thread after getting some feedback on the last Stefan podcast that 15 minutes of MMA talk was not welcome. <laughs> so, uh, I, I won't get into it, but, uh, the, the interesting fight is now not happening and I'll leave it at that. Oh, okay. Got canceled. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, is the, are you still kind of in scout mode or are you, is your season getting rolling here? Yes and no. I mean, we're, we're hunting year round for just keeping dogs in shape and us. And if yep. we have someone come in, but, um, we're getting ready to have our really busy season start kicking off here. I've just been messing around getting pups out. Um, in between we've been, this summer was all over the place. I mean, just in September, October, I've been from, East Idaho to Southwest Montana to Southern California, all over the place. Oh, wow. Um, so some with dogs, some without Just dogs. scouting jobs or? Uh, yeah, I, I had a quite a few. Well, Montana was a horse sale, but uh, East mm -hmm. Idaho was jobs. And then I had a packing contract with my mules or our mules um, in Southern California. Oh, that's right. That's right. You were over in Joshua Tree. That's That was awesome. It's, it's an interesting place. Like it's, you know... I wouldn't want to live there, but it's kind of cool to go in and visit and see. And, um, it's just a different, you know, it was, <laughs> we were riding in with our first load and I knew there was burrows in the area, feral, feral donkeys in the area. And we're riding in and all of a sudden everybody pricks their ears and whips their head around. And I see this donkey coming in hot and I'm like, Oh God, if this is a Jack, this might not be good. He might want to kind of come come start some stuff with my gelding here right. <laughs> and it ended up just being a lone jenny that was i don't know why she was by herself but man she was good looking and built and she hung out with us for most of that afternoon just kind of she you know hee-haw back and forth and she'd come in like right like pretty close like to the point where when cleve and i thought it was a jack we started yelling at her you know get out of here and trying to spook her off and she just kind of <laughs> looked at us like ah why do your donkeys look so weird? What are they wearing? You know? Uh, right. <laughs> so that, that was a little interesting, but it was a pretty good contract. That's cool. It was one that, um, would be great for bringing the dogs on. 
Mm. Except for the lack of shade <laughs> for being in camp and stuff. Right, 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 right. But it was pretty wow, cool because interesting. that section of the park was closed. So we didn't have a ton of hikers mm. and campers and other horseback riders. We kind of had it to ourselves. That's fun. That's fun when that happens, when you're suddenly just out there all by yourself. It goes days and days without seeing anybody. I love that's That's when I'm like in my element. Yeah, us too, for sure. I've never seen so many kangaroo rats in my life. Good Lord. I was When we unloaded, we ended up getting down there in the dark and uh, we were leading the mules into the corrals there at the spring. And there were mm -hmm. so many kangaroo rats. I was like having to shove them off to the side with my boot because there was one that kept running back and forth. And I'm like, the poor little guy's going to get stepped on. And they're about half tame. I mean, you can catch them if you're relatively quick and hold them. And right. Me being the little softy bleeding heart that I am is over here trying to shoo them <laughs> away. In the process, I got stepped on. But <laughs> Right. Cleve's like, why is your pannier full of rats? Literally. Like, They're <laughs> that, cute. Exactly. That would 100% happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you never know. It's California. There could be a market for uh, kangaroo rat pets. I'd probably go to jail for exporting wildlife across state lines. My probably, luck. Probably. Yeah. Now, California is a funny place. It's one of those. Like you can meet some of the greatest people. And then like one day you're just like salt of the earth people up in the mountains, you know, Sierra Nevada's way up there. And then like the next day, it's like being at the zoo. It's like, oh, he's that one's flinging his own feces. It's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's the weirdest place. I do not. I. I like parts of California, but uh, uh, if I had to paint with a broad brush, I would say I'm uh, I'm not the biggest fan of California. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. And we were down south of Vegas, so we were between we were driving out in the middle of nowhere, and a car passes us, and next thing you know, we're inside the park. Cleve gets pulled over, and he's like, "That's a cop." I'm like, "There's no freaking cop out here. We're in the middle of nowhere." And sure right. enough, and what I didn't realize is that park is pretty much a giant cutoff between L.A. and Vegas. So they okay. get a lot of shady stuff that happens out there. So they patrol that pretty regular. So I had to kind of eat crow on that one and be like, okay, fair enough. That was a cop. Um, we didn't fair have enough. trailer lights. I mean, they worked last time I checked them in 1998. But uh, Right. <laughs> That's probably one of the more main mundane things. He's like, "Oh, you 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 actually have mule equines in your equine trailer." Okay, you you people can go. Well, I was laughing because when we pulled into Vegas, we were walking in to the gas station. It was our last fuel up stop, and there's a guy in like this little Subaru with Utah plates. And Cleve and I are walking by, and he goes, "Is that a trailer load of mules?" And we're like mostly there's one horse in there and he's like i thought so and i'm like well, that's not something you hear every day especially not in vegas with some guy wearing flip-flops and board shorts and he's like right. well i don't look the part right now he's like but i was actually a cult starter up in washington i was getting on a lot of c5 rodeo stock um i've been all over idaho wow. and you could tell he's like i don't look the part right now but it's like holy smokes i guess just another oh. reminder to not judge a book by its cover Right, right. A little a bit, a little bit embarrassed about the uh, the way he looked when he met real people. 
yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. California's a, a weird place. I think it was a cooler place before the bands went down before everything got banned. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And then, I mean, down there, you kind of run into, like you said, the gamut of everybody who's coming down to see the park. And then you run into people right. who are like, you have lived in the desert for 50 years and that's about 45 right. years too long. <laughs> right. That's right. You got left here as a baby and just never left. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's uh, but that's the thing though. It's like California breeds just extreme people. Yeah. It's like you don't get middle of the road, like just whatever people. They're like, they, they are very, very much of something. And it's a, sh it's, I shouldn't say it's a shame the way California is going, because there's a lot of good parts of California. But like, we've talked about this in the past, um, Cleve and I and his brother have. If you think about it, California is really like the most diverse state. Mm with the exception of probably Idaho, where you have everything from desert to practically rainforest to mm -hmm. ocean, obviously not Idaho, to plainsy type. Like it's it's right. such a ecologically um, diverse place. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, it is. It's crazy. It's, a, it's such a cool place, like geographically and just, you know, environmentally, it's such a neat place. But it's just like the poison pouring out of L.A. is just like, oh, I don't know. It's like being in this wonderful place with like this poison well in the middle of it. It's like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. And yeah, and but, I mean, I suppose that's everywhere. You've got your your rural areas that are controlled by the cities. And oh, sure. It's the system yeah, needs I mean, an overhaul. <laughs> yeah, it's happening everywhere. You know, it used to be kind of a, like a California thing. We could sit back and kind of make fun of it because, you know, uh, it was a California deal. Now it's not. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's happening everywhere. Yep, for sure. But yeah, it's too bad. But, um, you were sending me, uh, you sent me a couple of videos of a dog, a beagle that's the sister of yours. Is that right? River? Yes. So. Yeah. Yep. She is. Tell me a, about her. That's that. That I think the listeners are going to be interesting, but interested based on the conversation I just had with George uh, Lambert about um, the contribution Scruffy makes to his pack. I, I I'm interested to hear about this this river dog and then some of your other ones. Just what your thoughts are on what they bring to the table. So River is a dog out of a beagle litter that I bred. Um, she is a littermate to my Huey dog, who is kind of not the OG beagle, but he was my first purebred that really um, kind of opened our eyes. So she's super cool. She belongs to some really good friends of ours down in New Mexico. And she lives with some really nice bear dogs good lion dogs like he just hunts all the time um and she hangs right in there with him i mean she'll catch her own lion tree her own bear she's right. she's generally one of the last to pull bay on a, a mean bear and she's super tough um 
and that's something that you and I and I have talked about before is just the beagle brings in such a physical tenacity and toughness, um, whether it's their feet or just they're so compact that they just take the abuse better of the the terrain. Right. Um, you know, and you, you look at it too, and I swear, I have yet to see a beagle that does not have really hairy feet, like in between, if you pick mm. up their foot and look in between their pads and their toes, they've just got this layer of hair. They look like little Clydesdales or something. And I don't know if that is some of it because the abrasiveness doesn't get to the skin or or what it is, but it's not enough that they get ice mm. balls in the winter like you hear of some guys with um, like draught hairs or wire hairs that will get ice oh, balls sure. in their feet. Um, I haven't had that issue, but they just... They're just so tough. And you think mm. about like, um, I believe Johan Plank had brought this up in one of our, our group discussions. Uh, but mm. if you think about it, you know, with them covering the same amount of ground as a big dog, they're mm. still using that joint and that foot surface and that shoulder three times more to cover the same amount of ground than a bigger dog is. And they mm -hmm. just... They're just so tough. And of course, you're going to have exceptions. I mean, not, you know, not everything's black and white. You're going to have beagles that are tougher than other beagles. Um, you know, maybe my experience has just been with this strain of beagle, but the crosses that we have that are from other blood are, are fairly tough too. Right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that that's just the strain that you're working on because that's been my experience as well is that, you know, the beagle I had growing up and the beagle I've got now, they're just physically, they're so tough. I mean, they just like, you know, the beagle I have now was hit by a car when he was like eight months old, not even six months old. And like, you know, really rung his bell, ran over his legs. I was sure that, you know, he was just toasted and you know maybe his bones were soft so they bent instead of breaking or uh, i'm not sure but you know by the time we got out of the vets he was just like totally himself bouncing around never never seemed to slow him down and he's able to put in i mean i won't even i won't even estimate the number of strides he's able to put in but just in terms of total mileage in a day you know, he's a dog, he's one of the, he's one of the dogs that I could put down and feel good about putting down day after day after day after day and be confident that physically he could handle it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually the, the mother to these beagles, the, the purebred that I have now, um, we were riding up in some mountainous stuff and she darted in front of this horse we had and he stepped in it from my view on top of him it looked like he stepped right in the middle of her front forearm and i'm thinking oh god okay we're going to the vet and mm. she turned around and nailed him on his coronary band and he picked his foot up pretty quick and we did a 16 mile loop that day and we were moving pretty quick probably quicker than we should have been um as far as good mm -hmm. hunting goes but everything was fresh and we didn't feel like fighting him so, um, we got back to camp, everybody else knocked out and snoozed. 
and I had her tied up next to a rose bush, and she proceeded to annihilate that rose bush because she was mad that she couldn't keep hunting. She wasn't limping, she wasn't anything. And it's like, you know, I make them out, <laughs> I don't want to make them out to be Iron Man, but they're just, I don't see that toughness. Um, no, they're, they're, they're pretty ridiculously tough, though. Like, you don't want to call them Iron Man, but they, they're kind of Iron Man. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty crazy. Um, you know, our, the beagle I had growing up used to herd cows. She was actually a decent, like a decent cow dog. Um, would just get in there and just kind of get behind them and start hassling them. And, you know, she, you couldn't really control her much, but she always just instinctively kind of went behind them and always pushed them towards you, which was, you know, for us really useful. You know, we didn't have we didn't have horses or anything like that to to run the you know to, to run the cows with and the cows we had were um we got for like a as i recall we got them for a steal which probably should have clued us in to there was like there was an asterisk you know, there, there was some subtext, some small print, but they were, they had been used for cutting in the rodeos and, uh, were just like wild as anything. And, uh, yeah, she made it a lot easier. That beagle made it a lot easier. It was funny. Hmm. Yeah, they've they've definitely got some game to them. We were actually uh, when we were on one of those contracts in East Idaho, there was a bunch of cows that were not of the same breed, and some of them were very very nice and freeze branded, and so not inexpensive. Uh, they definitely mm -hmm. did not want their neighbors' giant Charlet bulls in with their nice black heifers. So, of course, when you're taking three and a half miles of fence down. Things are going to mix. So right. we were pushing some bulls and cows back. And of course, we didn't notice they were out there until we had all the young dogs with us. And one of the beagle crosses that we had gotten back, um, just from a different scenario, she was with Cleve and I was up ahead, you know, trying to get them to go where they'd move away from me through the gate. And Cleve said, all of a sudden, she just runs out ahead and darts in there and heals one and looks back at him like, is that what you wanted me to do? And he's like, normally no, but in this case, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they've, they've definitely got some game to them too. I mean, they're even yeah. as, as soft and loving and just neat as they are there, they can be gritty little boogers. That, that male that I have, he's never met a badger. He doesn't want a fist fight. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we were talking to George about it and they, it seems like some of these, you know, I, I won't say small breeds cause that's, I, I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with size or I'm not sure that it has anything to do with size, but it seems like there's a, there's a quality that some of these breeds have. That's just kind of an intense manic energy that seems to just sort of flummox some game species and we were talking about it in terms of scruffy uh his his feist having treed 
just more bears than really makes sense on paper. And like since that podcast, I've gotten like a bunch of feedback, people just out of the woodwork coming and being like, hey, you know, I had a, a Yogg's Terrier or I had a Feist or I had a, you know, a Patterdale or whatever that would just come along and pretty soon was doing the exact same thing. And I wonder if they bring something to the table that throws is such a different energy than what these animals are used to if they have any experience with hounds at all. But I, I wonder if the energy is just what sort of, yeah, unnerves them enough to make them climb. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder, you know, is it the confidence? Is it the just surprise? Is it like you've said in the past, is it just the irritation versus, right. um, aggravation versus fight or flight. Right. Um, you know, maybe they're not going to be as confrontational with something they don't necessarily perceive as a threat. Right. More than just like, God, leave me alone. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it, and it's, I mean, it's the same with human beings. If I have a 300 pound guy come up to me and start to get in my face, I'm automatically going to be in sort of defense mode. In the like, okay, this is about, you know, shit's about to go down here. But if I've got a 150 pound guy coming up and getting in my face, I'm, I'm not going to react to it the same way. It's going to be a little bit more like, dude, just, just, you know, go away. Just leave me alone. Like the, it, it's going to be annoying more than anything. And I, I honestly wonder whether there's the same attitude, uh, sort of a, an instinctual reaction to, okay, this is not a threat to me, but damn, it's annoying. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wish you could get in their head and kind of figure things out, but yeah. Cause like you, that river dog you were talking about and Huey and some of those, uh, some of your guys, you know, they, they do really, really well in a big dog, in a big hounds world. They're, they're doing really well. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, is it a matter of nature versus nurture where they've just kind of been thrown in the mix and they never really got treated any different or right. is it, um, um, you know, I don't know. And, and as Huey has gotten older, he he's not hard on a tree at all he generally does not tree which i'm that's fine i have plenty that do i never worked with him on that um, my buddy worked with river on it and she trees i mean i've sent you videos you know you've seen mm -hmm. and oh yeah now the one of his first lions was a big old giant tom heck of a nice tom and he was not very far off the ground he was like like i could have reached up and touched his hips without extending my arm full way. Um, right. And when that lion hit the dirt, uh, I had, Cleve and I had to literally physically unclench his jaws off of this lion. Like I thought I was going to have to take a stick and break him off of this lion. And after that, okay. he's just been like, oh yeah, they've got it caught. Cool. I'm going to go trail another one. 
which some people would see as a flaw. Some people, I mean, I wouldn't, obviously you wouldn't want every dog to do that, but when you need something bear down, have to physically go in and drag him off cussing the whole time, you know, everything has its place. Um, absolutely. But river, she, she's a tree and son of a gun. His, um, Quakey, the, the other sibling that I had that um, I lost a couple of years ago, she would tree. So whether that's more of a female male thing, more of a temperament thing, more of a free up hmm. versus grind it out, I, I don't know. You yep. know, I think had I worked with Huey on it, he would have treed, but I just, I didn't. Right. So. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. You kind of look to, you look to fill the spots or... You kind of look at your game or your, your overall pack, your game, whatever you want to call it, um, and look for the holes. You try to plug the holes and, and, you know, bring as many strengths to the table as possible. So, you know, it's not necessary for every dog to be able to do everything. Unless you live in Norway where you can only run one dog. <laughs> yeah, then it's kind of kind of necessary. Um, and, you know, looking yeah. back now, what I have worked on it, yes, but I was not per se... You know, I thought they would work for lines. I had a pretty good feeling they would trail, but I was not. Um, I wasn't getting them to be tree dogs, so I didn't work mm. on that. Looking back now, I would have, and with my next future full blood, I will. But okay, that's you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's. Uh... What does Mike do if you have like squirrels or something in the around the, the place or something? Does he ever tree on anything or? Yeah, he'll he's pretty quick to tree. I think a lot of that had to do. Honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I had a cat or I have a cat that those two used to play with each other all the time. And the cat would frequently when it was done playing, like didn't want to play anymore, it would run up a tree. And so it became kind of an ingrained part of Mike that he knew where the cat went, which was up. So he'll, you know, he'll tree squirrels occasionally not. I mean, he doesn't really care about them because I don't care about them. But, you know, definitely will. Will tree squirrels if, you know, if he if he you know, f- uh, flushes a grouse or something that perches up in a tree, he'll tree off, he'll tree on that. Uh, so, you know, he's, he'll tree a little bit, but we don't really, I don't really hunt anything with him deliberately that would tree. I mean, deer don't, <laughs> deer don't climb. True. And you're not using him on Martin. So that makes sense. Right. And like, like with Huey, I mean, if I've got one of the ledges, that's right there. He'll tree on it. Or if there's one that's baited mm. up, you know, he's not leaving that way. It's just, if they already have the dogs caught, he's like, okay, good. You guys have this under control. I'm going to go find our next one, right. <laughs> which I have a hard time faulting. Now, like I said, would I want every single dog I own to do that? No, but I have a hard time, <laughs> you know? Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, a whole pack like that would be, yeah, a headache not worth having, I think. But uh, the, uh, you know, definitely says something to his heart and his drive and, you know, a lot of hunt in that dog. Yeah, a lot of, for sure. Probably the most yeah, I've ever seen. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, so, yeah, same, uh, 
Same with Mike, a very, very gamey dog, which I was a little bit excited to see if that was going to translate over or if that was going to continue this year, because last year was his first season. And this summer, you know, I had all these plans and all this stuff I was going to do with them and just none of it ended up working out because we it was like the summer of natural catastrophes here. Um, we had uh, epic flooding and uh, more rain than we've ever had. I mean, ever. So bridges washed away, roads washed away, landslides all over the place. We were isolated for days. And, um, you know, I, in, on top of it all, I was in the process of changing the roof on my house. So I wasn't able to get out with him and, and do the things that I wanted to. So I was a little bit excited to see how he was going to be this, this fall. And, um, he's, he's done really well. The game is scarce. Uh, the, the deer are scarce. We have a, uh, we have a lynx issue at the moment. So they, uh, they, they thinned out our deer population a lot last winter, but, um, I think I'm going to, uh, we're going to get some gnarly weather this weekend and then it's all going to melt again. And then I think I might go, I might go camping for a couple days. Uh, just try to get him on, try to get him and that pup of mine onto some, onto some game, uh, up in the mountains when, while the roads are still open. So, but you guys do like a bunch of camping with your guys, uh, while you're scouting, uh, or not just scouting, but actually doing some of these fencing jobs of yours, don't you? Yeah. Um, generally I've gotten to the point anymore. I mean, minus, you know, we've got some ranchers we build fence for that, you know, it's, they're smaller sections. So it's like, all right, if we're just going to be down there for a week, generally I'll just mm. stay home and keep the dogs here because it's a lot of work to move that many dogs. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Sure. So, but a lot of our, like, um, we were up in Idaho for five weeks um, this July, camped out. And mm -hmm. I mean, we generally spend just just building fence. I mean, three months a year living in a wall tent. And anymore, I'm, you know, I've, I've gotten so, so blessed to where, because mainly what we do is we build fence for a lot of the land management agencies here. So... BLM, Forest Service, NRCS. Um, sometimes they're on private lands, but oftentimes it's just out on the range. I'm, you know, in the middle of nowhere. So it's great because we can take the dogs with us all the time. Uh, so mm -hmm. they're not just sitting, getting stagnant and they're not bored tears and they get to go. It keeps them in shape. It keeps a handle on them. It, sure. And then now, you know, they know the difference between when we're hunting and when we're not. So when we're building fence, if you want to go dig a chipmunk out for 13 hours, knock yourself out. Go for it. If you want to go trail <laughs> rabbits or you want to, you know, as long as you're not harassing deer, you're not harassing stock, you're, go do your thing. I don't care. Sure. Right. So it works out pretty good. Um, there was a lot of porcupines up there. <laughs> oh, bummer. Live and dead. So they were finding dead ones and eating them. So that was great. Um, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> what kills a porcupine up there? 
lions. Really? Yep. Okay. Lions love well. eating porcupines. Oh, uh, we find a, depending where we're hunting, we find a fair amount of them that have quills in them here. Because these, um, these willow bottoms, they have them quite a bit. I actually had sure. one in my, I think I've talked about this before, I had one in my yard last summer that I was getting ready to turn everybody loose, like collars in hand, had the old dog loose, and the old dog went underneath the, the dually and kind of laid down for a nap, you know, and you watched his eyes, like, all of a sudden bug out, and he started barking at something, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I wonder if he's got a snake or something under there. And then I peeked around the corner and I'm like, oh, it's a badger. And then I saw the yellow fur and I was like, oh, no. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> yeah, it was. Turns out it's really, 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 really hard to um, build a porcupine snare because they don't have a neck. So every time right. you get the snare over their head, they just shrug it off. So it took me an hour and a half to get this stupid porcupine in a dog crate. To, he's now in the Porcupine Witness Protection Program because, okay. you know, same bleeding heart kind of deal. I, I he think got, I would have he taken got moved the, to an undisclosed. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I would have taken the mafia. I would have taken that uh, porcupine fishing. Well, my and, other uh, problem was I couldn't have shot him if I wanted to because he was crawled up in the wheel well of the dually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it was kind of one of those deals of like, all right, I... I had him like, God, I had him five or six times by a hind foot, by his tail, by his head. And he'd just roll those shoulders up. And I was about ready to shoot him by the time I was done with it. But, you know, then he's over there panting and making those cute little faces and squeaky noises. So I'm like, "Uh, all right, I'll go turn you loose. (laughs) Gotcha. So apart from the uh, apart from the porcupines, then what are. You know, I used to do, I used to travel quite a bit with my dog team of a lot. You know, I, my, I had my Alaskan Huskies and, you know, you get systems down for traveling with a lot of dogs over longer distances, not just like out in the bush, but actually physically like in the car or in the truck, hauling trailers and things. Um, what are some of the challenges when you're traveling with hounds? Um, like what, I think you do it as much as anybody I know, like what are, what is that lifestyle like living in a wall tent with how many hounds? 28? Uh, if we have ours and Cleve's brothers, let's see, what did we have in Idaho this year? 35, 37, something like that. A lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Always, always too many and never enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot, man. And even, you know, I was really lucky in the aspect of where I was going to town to get materials, get groceries, all of that, because we were in pretty heavy grizzly country. Um, I was able to leave dog food because I had, it, we timed it literally pretty much down to the day to where I was out of dog food here and I was going to pick up a pallet on my way. But I saw it was going to mm-hmm. rain a ton, and there's only so much room for keeping things dry in camp. So I was able to just mm-hmm. go to town and grab like 10 bags at a time when I was making grocery runs. Um, okay. So your your food storage is definitely important, especially if you're in an area with a lot of rodents. Um, you know, one of the things mm-hmm. I've found that I – it's so simple, but it makes things so easy because, as you know, when you have that many dogs, oh, you have an old cooking pan that you can't use? Well, guess what? That becomes a dog bowl now. <laughs> 
(laughs) So it's not like, you know, my bowls here, they're my water bowls, especially they're um, like the square salt block tubs. So they don't stack overly well, especially for spending eight hours down the highway faster than I should be going. Uh, So I ended up going, I believe it's, it's family dollar or dollar tree. You can buy the big stainless metal bowls. You have to buy them by the case, and there's 24 mm. in a case, but you can buy them for a dollar a piece, which is dirt cheap since they're normally like seven or eight dollars in the store. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for I have sure. a set of those that I just keep in a five gallon bucket. I have enough for oh, a perfect. food bowl and a water bowl for each dog, and I have that bucket that has a top on it. That way, it's like, because then by the time you get everybody loaded, it's like, Okay, now I have to go through, count all my bowls, make sure I have enough, find somewhere to put them with all the other machinery mm. and equipment so I can just grab right. a five-gallon bucket and go. That's a big help. Mm. Um, you know, obviously, I have a vet kit that goes with us pretty much everywhere. <laughs> right. What do you have in, what do you have in that? I've talked a little bit about that on the podcast before, but what, um, what are your main things in that vet, vet kit? So it depends on where we're going and what we might encounter. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, you know, vet wrap, staple guns. Yep. Um, gosh, I'm having a rain fart here. Vet wrap, staple guns, a splint, just in case mm-hmm. somebody breaks a leg. Uh, extra leads, bailing twine, gauze, dexamethasone. <laughs> Needles, syringes, um, just the typical, like, let me patch you up until we get by. And I always carry antibiotics with me just for us or them. Um, Mm. So I usually use the fish antibiotics. So I just Mm. order them pretty heavy once or twice a year and go from there. I keep some anti-inflammatories with me. Um, For If we're going somewhere with the mules that is snaky, I will actually cut two pieces of garden hose that are about eight inches long because horses and mules, as I'm sure you know, but listeners might not, cannot breathe out of their mouth. Really a a poor manufacturing design, Um, but they can Mm. only breathe through their nostrils. So if they happen to get whacked by a snake in the nose and their nose swells up, you're going to be in for possibly a dead horse. So if they do get that extreme swelling, you can actually put the garden hose in their nostrils and then they can breathe. That's a really good pro tip right there for anybody who travels with a horse. That's a great one. That's um, And they don't take up much room. Even... I mean, if you no, had to, you I mean, could use them as a set of splints. So. Right. And that's, see, really, that's, that's a great tip. And it's really easy. It's, it's um, super efficient because Al the Husky is a garden hose artist. So when I'm stupid and I leave the garden hose where he can reach it, he cuts them for me. In... So you've got a, just a bunch of eight-inch chunks of garden hose all over the place. Uh huh. It's great. It's really efficient. <laughs> yeah. Now that's it, that's one of those evolutionary things where you just look at it and you're like, how could that possibly be the case? Like, yeah. how could that possibly be the case? Like, like you're you know, gonna horses go around the- can't breathe out of their mouths. It's like it doesn't even sound like that's true. Yeah, you're gonna go run the like Kentucky Derby, like but you- good luck. <laughs> right. It's it's like it sounds like something someone made up when they're mansplaining something. Yeah. It's just like, you can't breathe out of the mouth. It's like, that's bullshit. No, total, total, full-blown legit. Yeah. 
and they can't throw up yet. It's really just an oversight on manufacturing. Terrible design. Yeah, exactly. Just a just a manufacturing. Yeah, that's crazy, but it's true. Yeah, no, that's a great tip. That's a great. I tip. also tend to carry hemostats because. Yep. You know, hemostats, Q-tips. Q-tips are really good for putting Vaseline or something on and getting foreign objects out of eyes. Um, mm -hmm. Just all kinds of, you know, I'm not overboard on variety. You know, I usually carry one type of antibiotic with me. I'm not taking all of them. Um, sure. But just things like that, you know, um, your tie-out system can hinder or help you and I have talked quite a bit about that because when mm -hmm. you're, when you do have that many dogs to tie out and, uh, you want to have something that flows easily. We're actually rebuilding ours. We were going to do it when we were up there and they ended up sending us the wrong hardware parts. So it's just been one of those things. It's kind of been, Oh yeah, we'll do that next week. And <laughs> next week never comes. Um, right. But yeah, there's just certain things that make it a lot easier, especially if you can just grab and go instead of having to constantly re, uh, regroup everything. So like for me, it's worth the 50 bucks for a bucket and what, 60 dog bowls or something like that to where I can right. just grab it and go and not have to think about it. Um, right. The other thing we use a ton of is we have a little solar system. It's got a little charging bank and it's got a foldable solar panel, which fits perfectly in panniers for your pack saddle if you're going in the backcountry, or you can just throw it in a pickup. And I use that mm -hmm. to charge our collars, our bark collars, our Garmin, our phones. Um, but that's yeah. been fantastic because you don't have to have 8,000 cords in your pickup with an inverter and worry about running your battery down. I actually right. wish that someone like Garmin or DU or someone would sell a bundle for that it would probably sell like crazy with all the van life dog moms and <laughs> right <laughs> houndsmen right. and everybody jason and buddy you heard it first here your million dollar idea i have to put a disclaimer that was actually cleve's idea so okay <laughs> uh three quarters of a million dollar idea then yeah exactly oh, so. <laughs> that's a great that's a great idea though because you know, it's one of those things where the longer you're out there, the more you're looking for ways to streamline your stuff. You know, I, I remember the first time I went to a dog race, like I went through my dog kennel and gathered up all my bowls. It was, you know, it was a stack of bowls of all different sizes that ended up being like two feet tall. And, you know, they rolled around the bottom of the pickup. I had to, you know, sort of, you know, seal walk my way into the back of the pickup to get the rest of them food all over the place. And. You know, it's just like over the years, you just kind of start to get tired of just wasting time with like stupid stuff. Yes, 100%. So you get, yeah, you kind of streamline things. What is your what is your current uh, pick out? Or sorry, sorry, like um, stakeout chain, uh, stakeout setup. So right now we have, we've got a bunch of different ones just because it's been on the go so much. We've done repairs and made new ones and hmm. uh, I'll go over what we have now and then what we're going to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then just a little side note on the bowl thing again, the best part of that is when you get home and you're exhausted and you finally get everyone put up, you don't have to go rescatter all the bowls for everyone. You can just feed and go to bed. Um, right. 
But what I have right now is, I think it's quarter, I think it's quarter inch cable. And then we just have mm -hmm. drops, chain drops that come off of that. I don't mm -hmm. love that system per se. Um, and some of it's just the way we have it built. But we usually have, because we can tend to be in high desert environment where we might only have, say, four cedar trees in a row for shade, and then there's a big open spot, and then there's more trees. So I don't, sure. we only do like three to four dogs per line instead of like okay. having 15 in a line. Now, where we were in Idaho, we were in bigger timber country, we hooked them together and we just pretty much ran two straight lines or three straight lines. Right. Um, so. Usually I'll just take those wall tent stakes that we have and just bring a couple extras and I'll pound those at opposites, but pointed, I have them pointed towards inverted the yeah, towards sure. the dog mm -hmm. so that they, even if they pull loose, they can't get it over, um, right. over like the stake. Anchor. Yeah. Yep. yep. Mm. So yep. we have those. I've considered doing almost a high line like a lot of guys will do for pack stock where it's over their heads not where they can jump mm -hmm. over and hang themselves but it drops down that would work great if we were in timber country more mm -hmm. but we're out in the open so often that we need something that can go in the ground too right so um you know i usually try and bring either shavings or straw obviously weed free or some type of organic type material bedding material so the forest service doesn't get on to me um sure about that afterwards and then actually the same guy that owns river he got me turned on to these for dog houses but out here a lot of ranches use the big like 150 or 200 pound mineral tubs for cattle yeah yeah yep. so they're i don't know how many gallons but they're big enough to hold a, a good sized dog so we'll actually take those and cut a door in them and then put spike nails through the bottom of them and they have those the temporary dog house you know usually it's pretty warm when we're building fence so it's not like they're in frigid temps or snow or anything and i'll just pack those sure. with with shavings and they've kind of got their own little little spot they can get into and get out That's, of the rain or sounds like a pretty sweet setup it does. It works pretty good. And, um, you know, sometimes if I know I've got bitches in heat, here's another million dollar idea I've been threatening to do. Someone, for the love of God, please make telescopic collapsible kennel panels. Because I am so tired of loading giant kennel panels onto a trailer for bitches in heat. That's, an that's another really good idea. Like the way the chain link goes, I think a guy could put the um, the little pressure ball deals you use for like expandable shovels and stuff yep. and just slide them into each other i'm giving away all my That's, millionaire ideas now <laughs> i mean it's a great idea it's i mean like uh like the wall of a yurt if people know what i'm talking about like those those mongolian yeah um huts that are just like accordioned the walls you just kind of pull them out like a you know a, a vertical yeah like child gate like doggy doggy door yeah exactly because gosh this spring we were in utah and it was like and we weren't there very long <laughs> we were there like 13 days and we had i don't know four four bitches come in heat Oof. and we only had one who was in heat when we got there or showing any signs of coming in but usually you know okay if one's coming in more are coming in so we just kind of yeah. 
threw those on there and looked like the clamp that's going down the road. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I generally bring some of those. Um, I mean, a dog box can yeah. work too, but I don't really want to keep one in a dog box all the time. Yeah, food, <laughs> food storage. Because yep. we have, like, human food because we're yeah, usually camped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're usually camped pretty close to our job site. So they have figured out, oh, hey, we'll just lull them into a false sense of security that we're going to stick around and then go back and absolutely gorge ourselves on hamburger buns and pasta and cookies and chips and any other mm -hmm. things they can get into. It's great. Yep. That's a bummer. So usually we get some of the big, uh, oh, not DeWalt. They're the big black toolboxes that are probably yeah. three feet long by two feet high. And so we sure put that in there. I've actually, I keep threatening to buy a bear fence to put around the wall tent. And we always joke around mm -hmm. that because we also have one mule who will absolutely annihilate a camp. And she has a nose like a bear. And she knows how to open those boxes and panniers. So we always yeah. joke around that it's going to be like, oh, gosh, are there bears here? What's the deal with the bear fence? No, it's for the dogs and the mule. <laughs> the mule. <laughs> She's as oh, bad as the man. dogs. I mean, she'll go through your trash. She'll go through your campfire and pull stuff out. She just... Ugh. That kind of stuff drives me crazy. Oh, yeah. Drives me crazy. But, yeah, so just having a good containment system for everything um, you know, we'll often take, because sometimes when we're headed in there, you might look at a spring, especially in this arid country, you know, you might look on mm. Google Earth and say, okay, there's a spring there that I think I can get water from. Well, that spring might be dried up by the time you get in there. So we'll take right. like a 50-gallon um, barrel, fill it up, and then just either have a hand pump, or I saw now that Milwaukee has a little battery-operated water pump, which I'm I saw that too. definitely yeah. going to buy. Because my arm gets really tired of pumping, whether it's, you know, we have a little shower can set up, which was also shown to me by the guy that owns River. And I don't know how many gallons we have run through that thing. But like mm. when you're sweating all day and you're covered, you know, if we're building fence in a burned area, I don't really want to crawl in my sleeping bag for three weeks without a shower. So right. every night we come in, we fill it up, we throw it on the propane stove. It's just like three and a half gallons. And that gives us all a good shower you can use it for dishes so we generally try and bring along some water cool oh it's a great uh it's a couple of really good pro tips and a couple of really good ideas the uh yeah i mean heck the collapsible uh collapsible dog pens there must be something like that out there it's like, not that's, that's a good be. idea that i find like I almost find it hard to believe that no one's thought of that already. You could probably That's order them off Wish from China, but <laughs> probably. But like collapsible dog kennel—that's that's a really good idea. And I feel like if you—I mean—the tubing would be easy enough to just size down and get it to where it would slide into itself. I mean, that your chain link right. is going to be a little saggy, but you could almost wrap it around the whole tubing once you're done, like a little carry bag. So. Yeah, it's been one right. of those deals where I'm like, I've been threatening to experiment with it, but there's only so much time in a day. That's, that's a good idea. Oh, now you've got my brain going. I might, I, I might try and mock up something for myself. I was going to say, you're going to send me a video in two weeks like, hey, look at this. I had a great idea. <laughs> hey, look at this. It's, it's beagle proof. Just see like. No like, such hey, thing. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's no such thing. It's beagle proof for the next five minutes. It's like that uh, that TikTok you see where the audio's like, Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. That's that's what putting a beagle in a pen is about like. Mm. 100%. Yep. Yep. No, they're, they're, they're ridiculous little animals. But yeah, no, we, where you are, I get the impression that flooding is not really an issue for you guys. Yeah. Yes and no. Um, yes when, and it no. Do, when it does flood, it's bad. Um, okay. But it is south of us gets a lot of flash floods up where we're mm-hmm. at. We get, you know, cause they get more monsoon season rains and we kind of miss out on that cause we're far enough North that it just doesn't rain from June to September ever. Mm, so, right. um, now in early spring, there was probably four years ago, we had a flood that like took out sections of highway, knocked the railroad tracks out. There was two feet of water in town. Um, so it, it does happen. I mean, like we've got a culvert in the driveway and stuff, but it's one of those deals where it's not very often, but you still want to be prepared for it type of deal. Nothing like you guys were getting, but I mean, there was two feet of water in town. So, okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad though. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Did you guys have like a disaster preparedness plan? Like in case of floods or wildfires or something like that? Our biggest risk is going to be fires. Um, Especially where we've had like, you know, a lot of the concern here right now because we had such a good winter, spring and summer last year. And then it appears we're going to get the same thing. You you know, everything is basically standing fuel, especially those, those cooler season grasses where once they grow, they're, they're done and browned and dried out. Um, Right. We've talked about having, especially because, you know, if we're gone, sometimes we'll go look at a job somewhere and we'll be gone three or four days and just have the neighbor feed. Mm I am going to have, I was planning to do it this summer and I did not, but they were with us all summer. But in this, this winter spring, I'm going to build a set of, um, just like two feet of chain with a double snap on either end that I'm going to leave in a bucket and I'll have enough for every dog. That way, if say something does happen. And mm-hmm. someone was to come down and either turn dogs loose or grab them, whatever. They can just snap them to a fence somewhere. Something where they have a way to be contained without someone having to be there with them. Someone doesn't have to put them somewhere. They can take them five miles down the road and hook them to a fence or something. If they have to while they do other things and just mm-hmm. somewhere they can be safe. Um, right. We try and keep the area around the dog yard mowed down. Mm-hmm. just in case there is a spot on the property that kind of tends to be bad for dry lightning cracking right there. Um, haven't had any starts. This piece of property did burn about, I think, 20 years ago. So we have a lot of dead okay. standing sage that we just have not gotten to brush hog yet with everything else going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also been, this fall, I've been kind of doing some heavy rotational grazing, I guess technically it would be called, or I'm just taking an electric fence and I'm putting the mules in certain spots and getting them to beat it down pretty, sure, pretty hard may as well. No point letting it go to waste and running it through a mower. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's just kind of trying to mitigate that stuff. Um, you know, obviously we have a hose in the dog yard and stuff. If, so I, 
you know, there's only so much you can do, but you can make it easier for, for if something does happen, but. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not something I ever really thought a lot about, um, the disaster preparedness thing, because, you know, like it's so rare that you get like in Maine, it's so rare that you get a forest fire that gets out of control. But, um, some of our friends in Alaska got caught in a fire that must have been in 2000 and I want to say like 11, 2010, 2011. And, um, it wiped out their properties completely. And I mean, these were big Iditarod sled dog kennels with 150 dogs. And I mean, they, they were not able to save everybody. You know, it was the sort of thing where it was like, they got most of them, but suddenly like you're looking around and you're like, dang, where's Sparky? And you don't know, but you can't go and look for him. Yeah, actually, the the area I got that or the the book that I got that idea for the chains from because you always you know you always have the idea that a fire could happen and it would be really bad in the back of your mind. But to have mm. those drop chains idea actually came from Martin Boozer's book when he went through right. that fire, and I believe didn't Dee Dee Genro or someone go through one as well? That was just it was Dee it was Dee Dee I was talking about. Yeah, no, they I cannot remember what that fire was called. It had its own name, um, totally catastrophic, burnt her entire place to the ground. Um, she lost, yeah, everything. I mean, her, her father's collection of classic cars, like just, just lost everything. But, you know, Martin had been through a fire before, so his entire property was set up to avoid that exact thing. So, you know, Martin ended up, he ended up with a couple of people, including Dee Dee, uh, on his property for the the duration of the fire with all their dogs. I mean, he had, he had, you know, I, um, somebody said he had close to 600 dogs there just on his property, like people just camping out waiting for, because it was safe where he was. He'd clear, you know, people were like, why he has this beautiful place with this big lake, you know, and he just like just cut everything back just like I remember it was this beautiful place in the yeah in the forest it was gorgeous and he just like went in there with a bulldozer and just like took everything out for you know hundreds of yards in each direction so i mean it like on the outside you're looking at it and like this kind of looks weird like why why would you do that and then the fire hit and it was like oh okay that's that that's why and it's one because, of those things you don't think about until you go through it. And then you're like, oh, my right. God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was um, that was that was a horrible thing um, for. Yeah. for I mean, everybody affected. There were a, there were a ton of people affected. That was, uh, you know, and you, you kind of when you have summers like that where you've had multiple years of good growth followed by you know a extended period of no of no moisture whatsoever you know you, you end up in a situation where you're sort of you know 
praying to God that there's no lightning strike and also, you know, praying that nobody's going to do anything stupid. No human is going to do anything stupid. And that was the, that was the issue with the, uh, the fire that happened in Willow, Alaska was that, uh, somebody did something stupid and just burnt the town down. Especially now with the, um, side-by-sides there's Hmm. hot exhausts all over public lands. Um, and it doesn't take much, especially out here. We've always got wind and it is so dry. It's like, it would be not take much to get something going. And I can't even imagine the mental toll, like just reading in that book. And I had never heard of that book until actually Stefan had put it on Facebook. And I was like, that looks like a really good book. So I picked Mm. it up and started reading and just the mental toll of having to make those decisions of I can only fit 25 dogs in a truck. Who do I take? Would Oh, that would be devastating. Oh yeah. I mean, that's the sort of thing that haunts you for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, you, you kind of can look at it pragmatically and be like, well, I did the best that I could. And you know, you can, that's, that's true. But you know, you're always going to see the ones you didn't take. Yeah, that that doesn't make it an, any kinder death on the ones that don't get to get out. And, you know, it was super smart. I remember reading in that book, I think he, he grabbed a rowboat and I believe he was taken because he's like, what am I going to do with all these dogs? I can't just turn them loose, you know, because he at the time did not have those chain setups. And if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, I think he took them out in a rowboat and was putting them out on an island out in the lake. And I'm like, that is yep. so smart. Oh, super smart. Yeah. Martin, Martin is one of the smartest human beings I've ever met in my life. He's, uh, for those, most of you who don't know, Martin is originally Swiss, got his start running, um, Siberian Huskies in Switzerland, went to Alaska, ran the Iditarod early on with Siberian Huskies, didn't like the Sibes switched over to Alaskan Huskies and then proceeded to run, I think it was 32 Iditarods in a row. And wasn't he like, I think when he was staking, like if anyone, even if you're not into sled dogs, that is such a good book. I would highly recommend picking it up. It's, it's I've read it multiple times and I still go back and reread it. Wasn't he going to yep. walk down the highway to ask Susan Butcher to marry him so that he could get some of her dogs, if I remember correctly? I think it was Susan Butcher. <laughs> like, And he just, every interview you see, he just seems like a genuine light of a human being in a dark world like just a super nice dude i've had dinner with martin and just he's he is the nicest guy he is the nicest guy on the planet me being rather dense uh i actually follow his daughter-in-law on instagram and i did Mm -hmm. not realize until like two months ago that's actually who she was (laughs) okay cool (laughs) that's really cool it was, well, kind of felt dumb for a minute there, but we can call it cool. <laughs> You're like, how do you know Martin? She's like, I'm his daughter-in-law. Yeah. No, there's, um, it's something that I wish I could facilitate a little bit more than I've tried and I'm still trying. I, I will eventually figure out how to do it. But houndsmen have so many cool little things that they do 
that are so applicable to dog mushing. And dog mushers have so many cool little things that they do that's so applicable to the hounds. But I don't know anybody who does those, like fr crossing the boundaries, like who, who, who do those things. And I would love to see the two communities sort of exchange notes. Yeah, 100%. I think in it, they're so they're so different but similar in the same way there's uh, the two groups of dogs are kind of the you know hounds are the closest thing to a domesticated wolf pack that you're going to have mm. and they're in the same setting that the sled dogs are um mm. and it's like going back to like we were talking about the preparedness something the sled dog guys do that i really like is how you can hook your your cable lines to your pickup. Great mm -hmm. idea. What happens if something happens and you've got to drop them in the middle of a city or your truck breaks down or something like we've also right. talked about as much as we drive, you know, what would you do if your truck caught fire? Right. Like, what are you going to do? Pull over and kick 30 dogs out on the interstate? So um, I, I, I mean, people have, people have done that. Yeah. And I mean, how do sure. you, you know, do you just, blow through the median and the fences and set the shoulder on fire and just dump them off and try and get them away from the traffic. So it's, it's something that's been on my mind a lot more in the last couple of years. Maybe some of it's maturing. I don't know. Um, some would probably call it anxiety, but just thinking, you know, what could go wrong and how do you try and right. circumvent that? Um, sure. I mean, it's, it's legit things to think about. And I think part of it is just getting, I think it comes with the territory of just, I don't know, having been alive for long enough to see how epically things can go pear-shaped and wanting to be a little bit prepared for it. You know, it's like I had a, I had a concrete plan. Like I have a concrete plan here for a wildfire. But the epic flooding that we got this year, I had no plan for that. Like that that wasn't going to happen here. We're far up in the mountains. Like there was no there was no real reason why that would happen here. We're up towards the source of a lot of these rivers. And yet we got so much rain in such a concentrated small area that it just completely i mean it just obliterated us because you got and, the equivalent you know, of like what six feet of snow or something like that in that rain i think was what oh yeah something like that like we got we got we got more rain in a three-week period than we've gotten in a full year in other years and it all came and most of it came in this like it was three weeks but at the same time most of that came in like a four or five day period where it was just like just torrential downpours and in the beginning it was bad but once the ground saturated and it wasn't absorbing anything anymore and it just started flowing along the top that's when it got gnarly 
So, you know, we got we got lucky, but um, you know, had major landslides going on both sides of us and took out the roads and all this stuff. But, you know, I kind of afterwards, once the devastation was over, I drove around and found it was like found out it's like, okay, if I need to drive this way, this place right here is looks totally unaffected. And if I have to drive this way, this place right here is totally unaffected. So like now I've got a plan for it, but it's, you know, you could say it's paranoia, but you know, suddenly the day comes where, you know, you're the weird paranoid guy who's cut all the trees a hundred yards back from his kennel and suddenly has 600 dogs, you know, as refugees from the fire on his property, you know? Like I'm sure people called Martin paranoid, but you know he was the one who was there to help help everybody. And for me, that's a major major motivation as well. Is not just being able to save my own stuff and my own dogs, but it puts me then if I have a plan and I'm able to put things into you know square things away myself really quickly, that puts me in a position to be able to put my energies into helping the people who aren't prepared for it. A hundred percent. I was just getting ready to say that how. How amazing to be able to be that that person for someone. Like we had a, a, it was a small fire, but it was right in a bad spot a couple of years ago. And there's a guy and he just had four or five pounds, but he had cattle, he had horses. He was, and I don't, we don't know him real well, just enough to say hi and whatever and had his number and Cleve called him and said, Hey, if you need to, we'll come get your dogs. They can stay here as long as they need to, whatever. They, they got the fire put out, but it's mm. like, how amazing is that to be in that position to where you can do that for someone and say, Hey, there needs to be 50 dogs here. There needs to be 10 dogs or 500 dogs. You know, we'll, we'll find a way to make it work. It's, it'd be nice to be able to help someone like that. Um, in a time where they probably can't help themselves on, on that note, what is your fire plan? Um, my fire plan at the bottom of the river or at the bottom of our Valley, we've got old uh, not it's not even really old growth we've got um sustainable logging plots above us so you know uh, sizable plots of of um of pine in uh, various you know uh, of various ages um if a fire started if it really caught us by surprise like i walked outside and the forest was on fire we've got a gorge 300 yards from the house with a river running through it um, and some fairly substantial overhangs where I could get my entire kennel uh, of dogs, assuming they listen to me, which has actually been something I've actively trained for. I can get them down there and underneath those. So it would get uncomfortable, but we'd be okay. That's amazing. Um, If it did not get if, if I knew it was coming and realized I needed to evacuate, there are, um, the river we have is fairly shallow and wide. So there are some solid sandbars and things like that, that we could go, we could go down into and, you know, also just the road, um, through the valley kind of weaves around and over the river. So it's, it's, it would need to get really, really bad before we were not able to get out uh, that way and down to some, you know, get to an area that was not actively burning. 
that's super cool. That's a really good idea with the gorge and everything and actually training for that. And, and, you know, I think too, it seems like you've got two kind of critters. You got critters that realize something's happening and they're absolutely in flight and they're not cooperative. And then you mm-hmm. have dogs that are like, oh shit, we need to pay attention and, and kind of, <laughs> um, so that's a super right. good idea training for it, honestly. Right. But, you know, I mean, part of that part of that plan is the understanding that I'm going to unhook everybody, open every door, say, come on, guys, let's go. And 90 percent of those dogs are going to listen to me, but there's going to be 10 percent that are going to burn. And it's not going to be dogs that I want to watch burn. It's not going to be me choosing to leave them behind. It's going to be the fact that they just did not do what was necessary. And I've trained them for it, but I realized that there's going to be something that's going to happen. A cinder's going to hit somebody in the in the butt. You know, uh, the stress is going to cause a dog. Something's going to happen that's going to make it so that there's probably at least one dog that's not going to follow me down. And, you know, it's that kind of disaster preparedness. Is, part of it is just kind of taking a real hard look at what, what can I survive without, you know, and that's kind of a unpleasant thing. It is. Sometimes, but you feel kind of macabre thinking about it, but at the same time, you know, thinking on that, the thought just popped in my head of, you know, maybe I should have a vet kit that I can just grab out of the shed and go with stuff for burned paws. Um, Mm -hmm. Things like that, you know, um, honey is great for burns and abrasions and cuts on dogs, especially if you can get them to not lick it. But like you said, I have, there's two dogs I can think of right now that would probably, one would probably, I could see him staying and going back to his house or just taking off. Um, there is one that no one else would be able to come unhook. So it would be a case Mm -hmm. of there's cable cutters in the shed, cut him and just help. Try and get him to go with you, but don't touch him because you're going to get bit type right. of deal. Um, right. So, yeah, you always think, you know, think of something like that. And like you said, it's kind of kind of dark, but it is. Yeah, yeah, it's better than not thinking about it's, it at all and, and losing everything. Right. Right. And I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what we're talking about is, is the preparedness aspect and the pre- being prepared for something means looking through, you know, the, the potential consequences of when it happens. So, but it's, um, now once again, Becky, it's always, always fun to talk to you. It's interesting conversation. It's, um, yeah, I I always end up with more. I, I always end up with like a thousand other ideas for podcasts after I talk to you or George or Stefan. It's just like, Oh man, that's a good question. And I think about it for a few weeks and end up calling you guys and be like, Hey, you want to come on and talk about that thing that we kind of talked about the last time? <laughs> I enjoy talking about the kind of off the beaten path stuff too, that kind of gets the, yeah, get to thinking. And I am um, going to be expecting a, a prototype of these, these kennels to try out and, be an ambassador and I'll, I'll carry him in the States if you carry him over in Norway. And... Gotcha. Well, I'll, I'll see what I come up with. I'll, uh, I'm, I may enlist Eric for this kind of stuff. Eric, if you're listening right now, I've, wa- I've seen your woodshed. It's so fancy and amazing that uh, I feel like this would be a, um, 
just like a an easy slam dunk, a, a layup for Eric. Yeah, based on the pictures I have seen, that is like he's got more talent in his pinky than I do in my entire body when it comes to woodwork and. <laughs> it's the, the guys. He, he's ridiculous. He does Eric's stuff for fun that I dread doing. I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the 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 work that he's able to do with wood is just unbelievable. But then, like, you walk into his house and you're like, oh, this, th- th- this applies to everything. And you look at his truck and it's just everything is just, like, so neat. And all, all of, like, you know, the bumpers, the winch, everything he's, like, fabricated himself. And, like, okay, this guy's really good with his hands. And then you meet his entire pack of dogs. And they're just all so well adjusted, but at the same time, super well behaved. It's just like, man, making me feel bad about myself here. <laughs> that's like, that's I wish good I could to do have, one though. thing as well as you do all of these 40 other things. No kidding. And speaking of trucks, I'm glad you said that because it reminds me I need to clean mine out from a summer of living on the road before we go into a winter of living on the road. <laughs> winter of living on the road, right. Right. Well, I'll let you get back to your uh, day. I appreciate taking the time to come and chat for a little while. Heck yeah. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Anytime. All right. We'll talk to you later, Becky. See ya. Bye-bye. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>